Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about divine intuition. Often we talk about God in terms of being all-wise and all-powerful. And so I would guess, since we're part of God, that means that we too can tap into that power and to that wisdom. And yet, how conscious are we of that? I guess that would be my starting question. Do we really have that sense that, that we can really zero in on intuition, if you will, on that ability for us to know just beyond what comes into our regular five senses. And, and I got to tell you right up front, sometimes I do pretty good in that area, sometimes not so much. Sometimes I really do have that sense, right, that things are going my way and whatever decision I'm going to make is really coming from my heart and I know it's going to be powerful and I know it's going to be the right decision and I don't worry about it and sure enough, it's like, like a little miracle. Do you know what I mean? It's like the wisdom of, of whatever's in there beyond my five senses shows me the way I step forward and everything as well. And then other days, oh my gosh, it's like everything I try to do or think just makes it worse. It's like, where, where is that idea of divine wisdom on those days? Well, I did a little bit of research, and as you know, we're using this thing called You of Ernest Holmes. And I guess that's where I want to start, actually, as a, a quote from this book. He says, there is that God within you that knows by pure intuition. That is, without the process of reasoning with reference to external facts or existing conditions. Therefore, divine guidance exists at the very center of your being. It acts as a pure principle of nature. So if you're living in an intelligence which instantly knows the answer to any problem, then you are living in an intelligence which has no problem. All right. Now here's the part, though, where I just think I need some help. Because honestly, some days that intelligence might be there, but my ability to tap into it seems a little limited. So what we're going to talk about today is intuition. What we're going to talk about today is our instinctual reaction to things. And I think uh, maybe we'll start even with a joke about instinct. <laughs> so at the beginning of spring, a mother skunk told her baby skunks that it was time to end their winter hibernation and to come out into the world. Now, the babies had never seen the outside world. They were understandably a little timid. But when they finally emerged from their burrow, they were thrilled to discover the buds and the blooms and the sunlight of early spring. One baby skunk was curious about how her mother knew it was time to come out. Mama, he said, how do you know it's time to come out of our burrow in the spring? Oh, my instincts told me, his mother answered. The baby skunk thought for a minute. It looked perplexed kind of looked at itself for a minute and said, well, my instincts too, but it never told me anything. <laughs> Reverend Sharon's going, he stooped that low. <laughs> oh, well, luckily I'm not graded on my jokes. All right. So, so my question is then, what's an instinct? Well, first of all, many of you probably realize we're born, we're literally born knowing things that we could possibly not know. 
For instance, a brand new newborn baby knows to be afraid of heights, knows there's an issue, even if it's crawling on a, a, like a coffee table or something and can see that there's a depth there. A brand newborn baby needs no training, simply understands that heights are a concern and to, and to be careful around that. A newborn baby, if you place it in water, will instinctively start doing the swimming motions and hold its breath. No training required, right? We're just born that way. We're just wired that way. Uh, loud noises, instinctively we will shy away from them. No one needs to tell us that when that train whistle is bearing down the tracks at us, we ought to do something because without even seeing the train, just the whistle going off, instinctively we have that reaction of, of pulling back and finding safety. So, so nature has imbued us through our DNA, through our chromosomes. In fact, the, the scientists aren't even sure how our chromosomes affect how and what we think and our physical reactions, but there is a belief anyway among science that our, our instincts are programmed in at that level of our DNA to be, enable us to be safe in the world, even as newborns. And occasionally you'll hear those crazy stories, right, of a, of a child that was raised by wolves or, uh, or, or a child that came about with no parents whatsoever out in the world and yet survived and yet flourished with no knowledge of language and the other things that get built up on top of that through our society. The reason? Instinct. What about intuition, though? Intuition is a little bit different. Each of us, I think, has that ability to tap into things, again, beyond our five senses, but in a way that isn't uniformly built into all of us through our DNA. Instinct, we all got, and we all got the, the same share of it. Intuition, though, is kind of a personal, inward knowing. It, it affects each of us differently. Some things come easy. Have you ever heard the phrase, oh, that just comes easy to her? This is where intuition starts playing into our lives, I think, a little bit. It's that inward knowledge that, that seems beyond what we could learn just from in school or by, by uh, um, patterning ourselves after our parents or our friends. Those, those inward ideas, those abilities to solve problems that maybe exist only in our own mind, but the solution as well exists only in our own mind. A lot of people think it's hooey. Do you know what I mean? I was doing some research literally on the internet to see the scientific basis for intuition, and there were a few articles out there. Well, it's just craziness. It's just people that didn't notice what was going on on a conscious level, but, but figured it out later, and it comes as a flash of insight, right? But they really saw whatever it was they needed to see. They really heard whatever it was they needed to see. So some of the websites out there will just say, you know, it's not really anything special. It's just kind of remembering what we already knew, remembering what we had already seen. But you know what? Those people are in the gross minority. And there have actually been over 25 clinical studies in reputable universities that prove intuition is a real thing and a powerful thing. And, and, and I actually, I, I captured about 10 of them and discovered at the first service, we don't have time for all 10. So, uh, <laughs> so let me give you the Reader's Digest version of just a couple of them. One of them was really powerful. It was in the United Kingdom uh, Medical Research Council in the UK, just a few years ago, decided they would check out people's ability to know when something dishonest is going on. And so they set it up with college students 
students to play cards. And what they didn't say was of the deck of cards, a couple of them were stacked. So there would be playing for money with cards and the the money was supplied, but the students would get to keep it. So there was an incentive for winning these little games. And of the, the sets of deck of cards, one of them had way more face cards in it and one of them had way fewer face cards in it. So one of the decks would essentially, if you were playing with that deck, you would lose. And one of the decks essentially, if you were playing with that deck, you'd have a much higher chance of winning. Okay, so they begin playing cards. And guess what? It took about 20, no, no matter what sets of, of, of young people were playing and things like that, it would take almost half the deck of going through the cards before anyone would say something, before anyone would verbalize or really get that, wait a minute, this deck here has like twice as many face cards in it, or, or this deck here, you know, it's, it's, it's all the low cards or whatever it was. Take about half the deck before people would catch on to it. What I didn't tell you was they had these people wired up to machines that were also measuring their brain activity, was also measuring their heart rate and their respiration rate. Those kids knew before they knew. Those kids, most of them knew after five or six cards. And it would be just the kids with the decks that were stacked their heart rate would increase a little bit, their respiration was increased a little bit. They were aware of it, even though their conscious mind, even though their rational thinking self had not even formulated the thoughts or the, even the suspicion that anything was wrong. That is intuition. The other study that I wanted to talk about, which is one that I would have liked to participate in, it kind of sounded fun. So they got a a showroom and they put a a dozen cars in it, brand new cars, kind of similar, but across different makes and models, but they were all like kind of coupes and all roughly the same color and that kind of thing. Now they gave uh, two two different sets of people, They, they would lead them in one at a time, one person, they gave them literally a list and a pencil, and on the list was how these people were to rate the cars. And so the idea was, based on a criteria of 12 things, find the car that's the best car. So it wasn't whether you liked the car, it was, in theory, it was based on the size of the trunk and the luxury of the interior and the, do you know what I mean? And the, off the sticker you could get the miles per gallon. And so all 12 characteristics. So if you think about it, a scientist could have gone in with the list and a pencil and literally given an infinite amount of time would have said, well, you know, this is the car that's best using those criteria. So they did that with a group of people. One by one, they'd send them in with the list, gave them as much time as they wanted to. Guess what? The people were only about 75% good at actually doing it, even though they had the literal criteria there, even though they could take as long as time as they wanted with the cars, people were only about 75% good at it. Guess what they did to the second group? They didn't give them the paper at all. They read through the criteria once, and they said, you have 30 seconds to decide which is the best car. Guess who is better? The 32nd people. In the 32nd, just having given them the list of what the criteria was in general terms, uh, read it out loud, they didn't get to take it with them. They 
zipped down the showroom across the front of the cars, they zipped down the showroom to the back of the cars, and they had to present their answer. They fared 80% accurate. Do you see how we discount our gut instincts all the time? All the time. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a time. I mean, I don't want to use my instinct or my intuition when I'm balancing my checkbook. Right? (laughs) I I mean, I mean, there are, you know, oh, I think it's about right. Sure, I'll write a check for $1,000. Yeah. I, I mean, there are times when we really do need to pay attention to the literal facts and even make lists and check off things. But what I am here to suggest to you today is that your God given intuition frequently will do a better job or at least as good a job as all of the anxiety and pouring over the ideas and making lists. I, and, and I got to tell you, you know, I was a little skeptical at first. I was one of those people raised with the idea of discounting that. In fact, I remember when I was a kid, it was called women's intuition, as though somehow only women had it. And it was often said also with a little bit of skepticism, right? Like they're making it up or, or like there's something fishy about it, something crazy about it. And so that was kind of where I came from. I can still remember when I was about 10 years old, my mom showed me how to do the, the pro and con list. I mean, I was so young, I didn't even, I thought she was talking about ex-cons or something. I mean, I didn't even know what a list of pro, I mean, uh, it's like pros and cons. So, so that was kind of how I was raised. You want to make a decision? You got a problem. We list the, you know, the pluses on one side and the, well, I'm here to tell you, as much as mom was trying to do me a service, there are times when that kind of examination are useful. And as often as not, it is the creativity that comes from our intuition. It is that inner sense of what is right or wrong for me. It is that ability to, to kind of trust someone uh, you know, fairly quickly based on your understanding of human nature. It's that ability to size up a, a new job just from being in the interview and realizing maybe this job isn't quite for me, even though it pencils out right on paper. Even though maybe it has the criteria I want, there's still something a little bit wrong with it. Go with your instinct. First of all, we can always change our mind later, right? And the nice thing about our instinct is that we tend to have an answer pretty quickly. Now again, if, it, if an exact number is important, if you're trying to pick out dates or, you know, there are times when sitting down with the facts and figures is absolutely necessary. But so very often, don't we have a problem that just seems to elude us? A problem that you've done the pluses and minuses list, a, a problem where you've written down or journaled or really brought into your conscious thought ways of navigating around or, or plowing through or assigning it to someone else or, or, or whatever means you have for solving that problem. And it simply remains elusive. It's because we're putting rational thought to something that doesn't actually require or need rational thought 
So if we want to start using our intuition more, if we want to actually play upon this ability that I believe is built into everyone, some of us have ignored it, some of us have never listened to it, what are some tips and techniques that we can use for it? Well, first of all, in a couple of the studies that I didn't mention, what they discovered was people were more intuitive when they were also more aware of their own bodies. That oftentimes the, the flag for the intuition, the, the um, if you want to say, the, the signal for some awareness will happen through a tightness in your stomach or, or a feeling of unease in your chest. It'll happen when you get a kind of a prickling sensation on the hairs on the back of your arm or, 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 or the, the skin cells on the back of your neck. And what they discovered was people who are aware of those things, people who frequently ask themselves, how am I doing? How am I feeling? What's my emotional body doing right now? How, how am I showing up on this day? Am I sad? Am I happy? Am I frustrated? Am I angry? People in touch with that are much better intuitors. So one of the things they suggested was, uh, for those of us in particular that think this might be an issue for us, actually set your watch alarm or your phone alarm to go off, say, every 15 minutes and just check in with yourself. How's my body feel? Is there tension in my shoulders? Am I feeling a little sad? And does it match what's going on? Because that's the clue. If your sense of things, if your inward feeling isn't matching what's going on on the outside, that's your intuition saying, this is a bad idea. <laughs> or it's saying, wait a minute, despite how this looks, it's actually good. I'm feeling free. I'm feeling like this is the right thing. So this is one of the ways that we can get more in touch with it is by getting more in touch literally with your body. How it's feeling, does it feel loose? Does it feel tense? Does it have that feeling of well-being and wholeness? Or you like feel like you're walking on pins and needles? Those are signs. If you're feeling that and it's the opposite of what you would imagine you're feeling, this is worth looking at, whether it's on the negative side or the positive side. Another thing that they discovered, and I suppose this is no great... Uh, Revelation, but they discovered that people who meditate and people who contemplate are also better at using their intuition more positively. And I suppose if you think about it, well, if you're sitting in the silence, you're more apt to hear that still small voice giving you guidance. You're apt to more likely be in touch with how you're feeling and what your intuition is telling you. The next one I sort of like, and, uh, and this one, you could take this as your homework if you like for the next time you're feeling like there's a problem that you're having trouble solving, and that's simply to sleep on it. Believe it or not, again, there was a study that showed people were given a, a fairly complex math problem w within their means to solve, but one that would take a while. And uh, so they timed it and they, they got the percentage of right answers. The other people, they just showed them what the problem was and they sent them home. They came back the next morning and answered the problems. They were twice as quick at solving the problem just ever having slept on it. There is something in our minds that are working 24 hours a day below the level of our conscious mind. And I think that's where intuition comes from. Our conscious mind is the part that's, that's whirring like some busy machine. Well, if I do this, will she do that? If I, if I solve this problem, what about that problem? If this is up for me and I do that, what will she say? And then what will he do? There is that part of us in our conscious mind that's like that. 
And that is noisy. <laughs> Some of you are like, please stop, Larry. <laughs> that is noisy. And it literally can drown out that quieter voice within that knows the answer, that has already intuited what the right answer to the problem is long before. That's why sleeping on it works. The part of your conscious mind that's, that's the figuring mind, that's the worried mind, is disengaged, and that free flow of information in your subconscious gets to have a hack at it right in the middle of the night when you're sleeping. So give that one a thought. All right, I want to give you one more example from my personal life uh, before we move on. Because I really was one of those people that sort of thought it was hogwash. I mean, even as I first began a practitioner, well, actually, I was in, in practitioner studies. We, we had a book where we learned to think of our emotions as signposts. And I can still remember that, thinking, oh, great, now we're going to talk about <laughs> Sharon's laughing. She knows exactly the book I mean. Uh, but in it, in theory, when an emotion comes up, we go, okay, well, what's the signpost? You know, the emotion is there, but it's pointing to something. So you're angry, right? Anger doesn't just live in you. It's there for a reason. Does something need to change? Is there something in your life that isn't working? Are there personal thoughts you're having that are allowing this anger to come up? And so I remember right then thinking, you know, this is interesting. This actually is useful <laughs> information. And the more I became in touch with my emotions, I started noticing that things around me provided more information than I ever thought they did. But let me share the big one with you. And a few of you may have heard this story before. So shortly after I finished practitioner studies and became a practitioner, our reverend at the time, Reverend Lynn, said, uh, so Larry, I assume you're thinking about ministerial school. And I was like, no. <laughs> you know, thanks for thinking of me, but that's kind of the furthest thing from my mind. And she said, no, you really should. I think you'd be good. And I said, well, I'm afraid to be on stage. I'm not very good at summarizing things. The thought of me being inspirational every week, ha. <laughs> I mean, I had, I mean, she didn't even have to say much. And I had a list about this long of why not only would I not be a good minister, but I'd probably hate it as well. She was like, okay, you know, whatever. So a, a, few, a few weeks pass, a few weeks pass, and she said, oh, did I mention that Alice Bandy is from Holmes Institute, the ministerial school is going to be up in Seattle next week. You know, if you had any questions about that program, uh, this would be a great time. You could just drive up and talk to her. And I, again, I was like, well, you know, thanks for the information, Lynn, and should the need ever arise, I'll keep that in mind. A week passes, and she said, well, do you have your bag packed? And I said, for what? And she said, well, you might want to stay overnight. You know, it'd be fun to, since you're going up to see, and I'm going, I'm not going. Well, she said, your appointment is at 2 p.m. on Saturday. And I'm thinking, well, pushy bride. <laughs> Am I supposed to say that about another minister? But anyway, anyway, so I'm kind of scared, but I figure, well, you know, it's not like I'm going to do this, but it would be interesting to find out about ministerial school. It'd be fun to see how much it costs and things like that, I guess. 
So I drive up, and because I haven't been to Seattle in a really long time, I actually get to the church two hours early. I mean, way too early, because I have no idea, you know, what I'm doing, really. So I'm there, and I'm, I'm asking around, and someone says, well, you know, you could just do a little shopping. There's an Ikea store not far from here. And we didn't have an Ikea then. So I thought, well, this would be fun. So I go to Ikea. I'm buying some stuff. You know, I'm starting to check out. And have you ever unmistakably had that feeling. Some people call it someone's walking over my grave. But it's when it's almost like the room gets chilly and you can feel like hairs on the back of your neck are sticking out. And to me, it also felt like all the lights in the giant Ikea store had dimmed a little bit except for the one right over me. It's like I was hyper aware that somehow something was going to happen. And so the woman is doing the bleep, 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 and, you know, things are adding up. And she looks over at me, and she says, so are these candles for church? And I said, uh, well, no, uh, no, um, these are just for me at home. And she said, oh, it's interesting. They'd be really pretty on an altar at church. <laughs> and she could see that I'm giving her the look. <laughs> Because then she says, I don't know why, I just assumed you were a minister. (laughs) So sometimes it takes the two by four over the head. But what I know is that voice is out there. That voice is leading you, and, and it will come in many forms, right? It'll be the, the pieces of inspiration you get from perfect strangers in a checkout line. It will be information that you find in a book, or, or maybe occasionally here on Sunday. But what I know is that God's voice is speaking all the time, that the answers to any kind of issue or problem you could ever have exist, and you already have the connection from drawing them out. It's been proven scientifically. It's been proven certainly anecdotally. We have divine intelligence within us if we but listen for it. I want to lead us in just a little bit of awareness of our own intention. And I'm conscious that we might be running out of time, but I think this is worth doing. What I'd like you to do, and we'll do this in lieu of homework. You get a week off from homework. See, do you like it already? <laughs> okay. What I'd like you to do is, in your mind, think of a problem that's kind of bugging you. So, so hold on to something, maybe a problem that has existed or an issue that's existed for you for some time. Maybe it's something that you've worried about, a relationship maybe that hasn't quite gone the way you'd like. Maybe it's a, a health challenge that has seemed a little elusive to you or that the answers to it seem a little elusive to you. Maybe it's a living situation or something going on at work. But picture in your mind some unresolved issue that you could really use some clarity around. Now I'd invite you just to close your eyes for a moment. And we're going to do something that we call visioning. And what it's really doing is tapping into that inner intuition. And so I'm simply going to ask a question. And each one of you, what comes to you immediately, just think it and notice it. So the question is a simple one. What is the highest outcome for this particular issue. And when I say that, what I mean is, what are the sights, the sounds, the words, the ideas, the feelings, 
the symbols and the thoughts that you might have if the issue was completely resolved to the highest and best possibility. So just imagine yourself on the other side of the issue, on the other side of the problem. It's been completely taken care of marvelously. What are the sights, the sounds, the words, the ideas, and the feelings that you will have then? Just notice what's different in you now that the solution is complete. The next question I ask you is what must be released? Is there something in you, maybe some old ways of thinking, some old opinions or, or old mental blocks that need to be released in order for this change to take place? What must be released for this high resolution to come about? Next question, what might be embraced? Is there a spiritual quality? Is there a, a godlike quality or a, a spiritual intention that you might assume to facilitate this resolution? So, so might you embrace love? Might you embrace wisdom or joy or peace? Is there something, some way of being in your heart that you might embrace to facilitate this beneficial outcome. And then the last question, what else, if anything, does your higher wisdom self wish to communicate at this time? What else, if anything, does your intuition wish to let you know about? Okay, you can open your eyes again. I'm going to close today with a final quote from this thing called you uh, and a prayer. I do invite you, though, within about 30 minutes, if anything did come to you, any insight around that issue, the science around this also says it tends to fade in about 30 minutes. Kind of like waking, when you first wake up, you can remember a dream pretty well, and then later in the day, you can't. Um, so so, uh, so if you had some insight, if you had an aha or, or a piece of... Uh, uh, of inspiration come to you, uh, take a, a soon, a, a quick opportunity to maybe to, to jot it down so you can look at it later. I'm closing with just a, a final quote from Ernest Holmes here. He says, divine guidance, like the presence of God, is right where you are. It's at the center of your being. When you turn to the spirit for solution of your problem, spirit answers by intuitively knowing, not the problem, but its answer. Every problem contains its own answer if you think of it as simply a question and not an obstruction. 
Thinking of it in this way, keep your mind not on the repetition and beliefs around the difficulty of the issue at hand, but instead on receiving the final, definite, wonderful answer. Say, if you will, to yourself, the spirit within me knows the answer to any problem which confronts me. I now turn from the problem to accepting the answer. I turn from any thought of confusion to a consciousness of peace. I know that the Spirit of God is within me, that the law of God is around me, that the wisdom of God infuses me, and I know that the answer is here and now. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. It is that wisdom of all time. It has the answers to every issue that has ever existed because it has existed throughout all time. It has been present for the solution of every issue that has ever been come about. It truly is all wise. And because I am a subset, because my consciousness is an individualized part of that one wisdom, I know that divine inspiration is working within me as well. That through my instinct and through my intuition, I am well served. That the issues that come forward to me are, are, are simply not issues, but rather slight questions that having asked are easily answered. That I tap in to that light and that truth of my own being and my own circumstances so effortlessly. And as it is true for me, I know we're all created equal, that each person in this room has the capability, has the capacity for tapping into instinct and intuition, in addition to their rational thinking, to create for them the best answers of all for every situation. And so each person here, I, I hope and trust, has an openness to this internal guidance and maybe even a willingness to, to practice some of the techniques that might allow them to see more clearly even beyond our five senses, accepting that wisdom of God, which is so very freely given. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for the power and presence for that wisdom right here in this room as it takes the form of these blessed people. I'm grateful. I let it be. And so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.